I'd like you to open your Bible once again this morning to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. This is the second part of what I started last week, which comes from verse 11. The title is, For God's Pleasure. For God's Pleasure. Verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And for thy pleasure they were created. Now it's obvious to us as we just casually look at that, think about it, that God created the world for his pleasure. He made it, and when he made it, he said, it is good. The word pleasure here actually is a word which means will. This Greek word is used 64 times in the New Testament, thelema, and 62 of 64 times the word pleasure is translated will. I have come to do thy will. Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom, but he that doeth the will of my Father. So God has a way that pleases him. He has a design about things that he wants done because that is what pleases him. It's his will that he created all the world because he wanted to. He made it the way he wanted it. It was for him and it was by him. The lemma means either will or desire or here pleasure, but God made it for his desire, so it pleases him. So we're on the same page with the word pleasure because this is what God wants. Thy will be done. The pleasure of God be done. Do you know, and I'm sure you do if you think about it, that we exist. We exist for one reason. That's to please God and to bring him glory. Anything else we do with our lives does not please the Lord. It is not for his glory. Most people live for themselves. What do I get? What can I get? How can I? Life is all about me, my, and mine. It is only by the grace of God can that attitude and direction of your life ever be changed. And if God doesn't intervene in your life, you'll live like that and you'll never please God. We think we please God because we try so hard to do good things. And we try to imagine good things and make it religious. And surely this is what God wants. And man loves to do that because he likes his way better than God's way. And though a way seems to be right, the Bible says, it is still a way of death. We have a hard time with that. We meaning the world, people. God wants us to know that what he says and the way he wants us to live is a way that pleases him. The Bible says this about all of creation and about what God has made. The Lord hath made all things for himself. This is in Proverbs 16, 4. And the latter part of that verse, it says, even the wicked for the day of evil. Now, we have a hard time with that because a lot of people really don't know God. As I've said before, and I don't want to get off on this too long, most Christian people, not some, but I think most have a concept of God. The church or the preacher has largely left it up to us as to how we want to manage things in our life and how we want to see things, and everybody kind of goes about their own way. But when God is revealed, 
he's not like us. God is not a man. God is not altogether as he accuses people once. He said, you thought I was altogether such a one as you are. I'm not like you. And when the revelation of God comes to our heart, we begin to see divinity in a new light. God is holy. The Bible word terrible is the word meaning awesome. God is awesome in the revelation of himself. It's a life-changing revelation. Jesus said, if you take my yoke upon you, if you walk with me and go my direction and let me rule your life, you'll learn of me. And when you learn of me, the effect will be peace and calmness in your soul. Your life changes. It'll change forever because this is what happens. So God begins to show us. He said, I love you. I have a plan for your life. I knew you from the foundation of the world. And before you were ever born or were ever existed, I chose you. And that's kind of hard because we call that election or predestination that God predetermined before there was a world, before he made it, before everything that he wanted to please him was existing to please him. He made decrees and his decrees shall stand. Even the wicked for the day of judgment. And that's hard for us, but it's what God says. We should be rejoicing this morning the fact that God has given us a heart to want to draw near to him and to know him because that is a work of God. Only God can do that. But when we come to him, remember this. God didn't save you to do your own thing. God didn't save us to be better people. That's it. God saved us to be so renovated by his work that we become new creatures in Christ. Meaning that old things pass away. And behold, because you're in a new realm now, all things become new. And the direction that he points us is Christ. That's the way he wants us to be, the measure, the stature, and so forth. There are other verses that talk about that, but let's go on. Last week, as I said, we not only exist for his pleasure, but we strive to please him. And we do that because, number one, in order for God to get out of us what God wants from us, he has to do a work in us. And Philippians 2 says that God is at work in you, inside here, that's these stirring new things. God is at work in you both to will and to do of his what? And so therefore, when a man begins to live and walk the way God wants him to walk, he becomes the kind of person that God wants. He begins to talk right and sound right. He begins to live right. He begins to make good decisions. He begins to believe. It becomes natural for him to take God at his word, to accept as true what God said, even though there's no evidence to what God said. God says, if you believe, you can be saved. Isn't that right? Born again. He didn't say you might feel anything because you can't live by feelings because one day you feel saved, one day you don't feel saved. But you live by reality that you take God at his word. If God says you are, then you are. That's what faith is. Faith is simply taking God at his word. 
If God said it, it's true. It's not true because I believe it. It's true whether I believe it or not. But I get to benefit from what he said because of the work that God is doing in me. John 6, 29, this is the work of God that you may believe. So his work in me is to encourage me. I like that. Causing things that I read to take a new meaning sort of jumps off the page at you sometimes. And you find yourself no longer struggling with how can that be or how can I, it just suddenly, seemingly, one day just becomes obvious. Well, yeah, he'll do that. God will take care of that. I can count on him to do that because, well, he said he would. And this is the way he wants us to live. Second thing we said last week, God does a work in us. And one of the evidences of that work is uprightness of heart. Now, if you remember, we got that verse from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. David was wanting to build God a temple or a house. And God said, not you. You're a man of war. Your hands are bloody. Your son Solomon will build a house. So David said, you know, I can't build it, but I can get the stuff together to build it. And out of his own treasures, he brought forth by various estimates, depending on the price of gold. Today, it's very, very high what it was worth then. Who knows? But he gave great amounts of gold out of his own treasures and silver. And they cut the cedars up in Lebanon and all of that. And they brought all of these things freely. The people gave freely because this is one thing that we can all do to contribute to what God wants. God wants a house. And everybody jumped in and gave willingly so much. I mean, just gave heaps of stuff and gold and silver to pay the workers who were going to do all the work. David said, I know also, Lord, that you try the hearts and that you have pleasure in uprightness. There's one thing that God can see that no man can see, and that's our hearts. The kind of people we really are, the way we're thinking, what's motivating me, what's kind of gearing me to do what I'm about to do or say what I'm about to say, God always knows. God knows the end from the beginning. Before you speak, he knows what you'll say. Only God can know that. And so... You begin to realize that God is working in us to make us upright. He knows why we do things. He knows why we give. He knows why we go. God knows and there is nothing that he does not know. Would you turn to Psalm 147 where he's talking about the fear of God and what it does. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him. Now, we're talking about uprightness of heart. You cannot be upright unless you have an attitude of respect and honor and reverence for God. You got to have that. And the Bible says God takes pleasure in that. Just as he said in 1 Peter 3, talking about wives. He said for Sarah, you know, she was the kind of wife towards Abraham that she did this and did that. And God went on to say that in his sight, a modest and chaste and clean heart is of great value to him. Because you talk about your attitude in doing what you're doing, your attitude in serving God, your attitude in whatever you're doing, how you're doing it, why you're doing it. 
God knows why you are. He can see that. All that is known to him. And when we respond to his word, because I want to please you. When our whole life is about what do I do to please you? Because I want your activity in my life. I want your blessing on my life. I don't want to walk alone and feel like I'm empty. I want to please the Lord. How do I please you? He said, be doers of my will. Just do what I told you to do. It's as simple as that, isn't it? God made us to be like that. To be doers of his will. To have a heart. To find out what his will is. Then to make application of that will with our lives. At the expense of what we used to do or how we used to do it. I want to do it now because it pleases God. That's an upright heart. The heart is right before God. This is a person who will do what is right. And if anything is not right, they won't do it. And he said, the Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him. In those that hope in his mercy. Let me read something for you of him. A really good commentary called Barnes Notes. Let me read what Mr. Barnes said about this verse. When it says the Lord takes pleasure. Some people would say, well, the Lord takes pleasure in those that do a lot and they're mighty and indeed and act on this earth. And, you know, that's, oh boy, they really please the Lord. Well, listen to this. Not that this is scripture, this is a man's thought, but think about it. He said, in those who truly worship him, however humble, poor, and unknown to people they may be, however unostentatious, it's quite a word, However, unostentatious, retired, unnoticed may be their worship. Not in the pride, pomp, and circumstance of war is his pleasure. Not in the march of armies. Not in the valor of the battlefield. Not in scenes where the garments of the warrior are rolled in blood, but in the closet. When the devout child of God prays. In the family, when the group bend before him in solemn devotion. In the assembly, quiet, serious, calm. When his friends are gathered together for prayer and praise. In the heart that truly loves, reverences, and adores him. It's a simple life. Sometimes the people that please God the most, I'm sure, are not noticed or admired as much as some who we think are pleasing him the most by what they do. But you know, God always sees what goes on in the closet. And I think he sees it's empty a lot. That there's not much activity in the closet because there's no glory there. But God is pleased with that person who brings his burdens, his cares, needs, hurts, pains, brings them to the Lord. Knowing that as I've been taught and that you care about my life, I'm going to bring these things before you and cast all my care upon you because... You care for me. And you called me and, and you know all about what I'm going through and all the difficulties. You know the pain of my heart or the pain of my body. And you know what suffering issues are about around about me. Now you've taught me in your word. You have caused my eyes to focus on those verses where you promised deliverance and safety. And you said you would rescue and lift up and so forth. And so in the peace in my heart, I lay that before you.
And when I lay it before your altar, I'm not going to take it back with me and carry it through the day and talk about it and moan about it and labor over it and discuss it with other people. I'm going to leave it with you because that's what you've taught. This is the upright in heart. I've learned to bring my cares to the Lord because the Lord has taught me I should do that. God is pleased with that. And the only reason you'll leave your burdens with the Lord and you walk away from that, the only reason you do that is because you believe. Hebrews 11, without faith, you can't please God. I don't care how busy you are. You can't please God without taking childlike trust in him and taking him at his word. There is no other way to please God. And yet that's not something that's taught so much. Because there's not a lot of glory in that. I mean, who can see you in the closet in the privacy of your home praying the prayer of faith and getting something done in your family, your life, your body, or your friends or somebody else? Nobody can see that. You're not even going to get praise for that. But God sees it. And sometimes God's great move is a private move in your home, in your office. As I said in a recent sermon, I think... Some of the most inspiring sermons I've heard in my life are ones I preach to myself. And I wonder why to this day he wouldn't let me do it out here in front of you. I have, I've had some moments when I've preached on the other side of this wall, practicing saying what a verse says, putting it into my words so I could give it to you. And it comes out so good. And I'm thinking... That's right. I found myself going, amen. <laughs> That's right. I'm not proud. I'm not trying to pump myself up. I'm just saying the way it works when nobody's around, just you and God. And it's a blessing. Isn't that good also? Amen. When you get a revelation in the Bible, when you're in your house and a big smile comes on your face and you got to get up and walk around the living room and say, glory to God. Wouldn't that be good? And you give a testimony. The Lord showed me something really good the other day. Oh, good, for, good for you. But it's not designed in some cases for everybody to get it. It was for you. And God sometimes draws us apart, folks. Listen to me. Just you and him. And he walks with me and he talks with me and all of that. And he speaks to you. And he has a moment with you. For your sakes... And for his glory, because it's going to make you closer to him. You're going to love him for it. You love him anyway, but you're going to really enjoy this. See, the heart's right. The heart that God can do something with is the heart that's right. Psalm 15 says, a man that shall approach God, it has the clean hands and a pure heart. God wants that. Now, thirdly today, in the idea of bringing God pleasure, we introduced it last week, Psalms 35. And just go back to Psalms 35 and 27. Boy, you've got to like this. If you don't like this, you got up way too early this morning. Psalms 35 and verse 27. Let them shout for joy. Now, the church I grew up in, they never put that in the bulletin. You know why? Because it would have never been done. I grew up in a Christian church, Disciples of Christ. It's a quiet version of Christianity. Just a little church in a city. I never heard anybody shouting there unless they were arguing, but verse 27 says, let them shout for what? 
or because of joy, shout. It's like going, woo! Now, I did that just because I wanted to try that out. All right. It says, and let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now, you know that's true. You can't deny that it's not true because the Bible says it. Let the Lord be magnified who hath pleasure in what? The prosperity of his servant. Are you his servant? I am. By invitation, I am. He invited me to be his servant and gave me enough wisdom to accept it. I am. And here's one of the things that God said brings pleasure to him. He delights in the prosperity of his servant. Now, if I am his servant and I am, I would say it's the will of God that I prosper. Don't believe me. Don't take my word for any of this this morning. You search it out yourself. I'm telling you what I believe. If God delights in the prosperity of his servant, and if I'm his servant, then God help me prosper. Because that pleases him. And if that pleases God, I am sure it would please me. Because when we think of prosperity and the English word prosper, my, there's chicken in every pot. There's two cars in one garage, and that took a miracle, but it's just amazing. Just blessed this way and money and freedom, financial freedom. The English word prosper came from another language. The Bible word for prosper came from the Hebrew language. And the Hebrew word that we use the English word prosper to translate it into not only means prosper, it certainly means that, but it also means some other things. For example, the Hebrew word prosper, as it's used here in Psalms 35, the Hebrew word prosper is used 235 times in Scripture. So it's a common word. The word prosper often used 235 times in the Old Testament. Now, of those 235 times, 175 times it's translated well. W-E-L-L. Remember the Shunammite woman who said it is well while her son was dead in an upper room and she went to get the prophet and they said, how are you? And she said, it is well. Well, the word well means to prosper. It also has to do with your health. It also has to do with wellness. It's just meaning be well. We often greet each other like that. How you doing? Good. Everything well? Everything well wouldn't just mean, are you physically intact? We could be talking about at home, business, everything around you, whatever you're involved with, responsible for, a part of, is it well? That's the way the word should be used. Now, it pleases God for us to live in such a way that all is well. It doesn't mean you don't have problems around you. But if there's problems around you, it means you found a source that will deliver you from those problems. And counting on him to do that, you say, it's well. Like that Shunammite woman, she said, it is well. 
Well, we could say, it is not well. You've got a dead child up in the prophet's room at your house. It's not well. Quit lying to me like that. She might say, whether I'm lying, you make that determination. I am believing for his wellness and his resurrection. You can't see it. To you, I'm lying because I'm taking God at his word. Trusting him. If I believe what the Bible says, I'm not lying. If somebody said, well, you sound like you're corrupted and coughing and living near the bathroom or limping around and all of that, how can you say you're healed? And I say, I'm not saying I'm healed because I feel healed. I'm not saying I'm healed because I look healed. I'm saying that I'm healed because God says I am. And he said, if I believe that he would cause that to happen, that's my expectation. And faith is the very substance. It gives reality to what you expect. If you don't have faith, all you've got is a problem. You don't have a solution. You just got a problem. But when you have a solution, you talk about the solution, not the problem. So to prosper means it is well with your soul. Go from there back to 3 John 2. All the way to the other end of the Bible. 3 John 2. I know you've been there many times. Completeness. Soundness. Peace. Tranquility. Do you know people like that? Do people know you as a person who's calm? No drama. You never want to just blurt out all your problems. I don't know what I'm going to do. It'd like to kill me. I thought I would die. It's killing me. You're not one of those people say, oh, I just, or you're not one to get on the phone and talk about your problems or mine. Now, you, sometimes you can't avoid issues that come up. Even though you say, well, you know, it's tragic somebody do that or somebody's like that. That shouldn't be because God has promised us. They could have had this or had that. That's a good way to talk about something if you have to discuss it. What does God say about it? Oh, this child, that family, the flood. Tragic things happen every day. Sometimes they happen amongst us. That doesn't mean that we have to mourn in the tragedy forever because God does give solutions. We can recover. Can't we? There is a better day coming. Sorrow may go through the whole night, but joy will come in the morning. We'll say that. Talk about the joy that's coming. Talk about what God promised. Again, I'm not trying to avoid situations. And I talk to people a lot. I hear a lot of things about a lot of bad stuff. Bad to me. But I find in every bad situation, there is something good that God has promised about it. I can encourage you. You can encourage me by saying what God has to say. If our heart is his and we hide his word in our upright heart, then what comes out of our mouth should indicate what's in our heart. Amen. 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 It really, really should. But in 3 John 2, beloved... This is how God wants you to be. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Does that sound good? That's the New Testament version of what the Old Testament said. 
So both Testaments say the same thing. They testify to the same thing. God is pleased. God wants us to do well. He uses the word prosper. He uses the word health. I tell you this, all of you look better well. You sound better well. You function better well. And when your home is in order and needs are taken care of, you look well. There's more to life than just one area. Life consists of many things, many compartments, many pigeonholes and categories. The devil looks for one he can use to torment you. And he wants you to know as you, if you'll just listen and learn, he will show you a way of escape so that you can bear up under and overcome all of it. You got to get the word in your heart. You got to want it. You got to see your need for it. You got to avail yourself to it. And then you got to make application of it. But God's bigger than your life. God's bigger than my problems and your problems and everybody's problems. God's bigger. He doesn't turn his head because there's a problem in your life. He looks to you to look to him, to send him his word. He sent his word to accomplish Something, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth, God said. Has the word gone out of his mouth? Has it? Where did it land when it went out? It landed in a book. You got a book? The book's called the Bible. It is the word of God. God spoke, and when he spoke for 1,500 years, he had various people from various walks of life put it together in a Bible. And he said, this is my word to you. This is what I will do. I'm going to add this to it. So shall my word be, Isaiah 55, 11 says, that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not come back void. The only way it can get back is if you speak it. Otherwise, it lies dormant in a Bible on your kitchen table or coffee table. It just lies there. It looks good when company comes, but it absolutely does nothing of what it says. But when you put it in your mouth and you speak it back, he said it will not come back empty. But he said there's the word of God is designed to do two things, and you should know this by heart. It is designed to accomplish that which I please. Go to Isaiah 55. I want you to see it for yourself. That way it's not my opinion. Isaiah 55. We use this verse once a month. Same old, same old. I <laughs> praise God. We ought to use it three times a month if it's that because it's the word of God. All right. Verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return. It's designed to come back. Are you with me? What he sent out, he's waiting for it to come back. He didn't just send his word out and that's it. You've got it. He said, make it come back. How do you make it come back? Thy word of our hid in my heart out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. So you send the word back to God because it's in your heart, you speak it back to God because God has convinced us that two things that he sent the word to do 
pleases him to do it. He said, my word shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Didn't he say that? You've got to see that. Now, if in the word it talks about 8,000 different things, then you got 8,000 joyful moments. God watches over this word to do that. That's what he does. That's what he wants you to counter him to do because this pleases him. We're not being greedy and covetous, gimme, 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 gimme. I am trying to respond to what he said because it pleases God for what he promised to come to pass. And if it pleases God for that to come to pass, may I benefit heaven with being one of those people that get what he said. And if he said, I wish above all things that you may prosper, then may I prosper. It pleases God. There's nowhere in the Bible that says God is pleased with your forlorn, downcast, poverty, broken, bitter hearts. He didn't say heaven was made for those that are just bitter and ugly and mean. He didn't say that. The Bible doesn't say it's God's pleasure for you to be in debt and be broke. It doesn't say that. But it does say that God wants you to have what he calls prosperity and that he wants you to be in health. Health is health. Prosper here also could be to do well. Sometimes it means to be at ease. That means you're doing well. It pleases God. Are you with me? It's what he gave his word to do. This is for his pleasure. Read it again, verse 11. At the end of verse, it shall accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Did he send it to save the lost? Does it please God to save the lost? Did he send it to bring conviction? Well, then does it please God for man to be convicted? Did he send it to make you well? It says so in the Bible. Psalm 107 verse 20, sent his word and healed them. There is power. He sent his word to heal because that pleases God. I'm not trying to put down anybody that's not well or whole. My ancestors were like that. All of my family tree was like that. But I did recently discover something that really blessed me. My great, great, great grandfather was a Baptist preacher. Amen. Yeah, I'm sure he prayed for me or asked that God would put some seed in his tree. I hope he's had fire in him. William Henry Harrison Absher. I hope he's up there. Probably is. But God puts these words in our hearts. And for those who want to listen, he simply says, this is what I want to do. Your problem is you're wondering why it doesn't work for people. Well, I'd like to believe that, but look at all the people it didn't work for. Who said all those people were trusting him for it? Who said they really had faith for that? Who said they were counting on God to do that and were at peace with it? They asked, they prayed, but they didn't feel better. They prayed again. They kept praying because they've never believed they got it. That's why they keep asking for it. They've never believed they've got it. 
Jesus said, when you pray, believe you have received it and you shall have it. You got to teach that to people. We have to keep having that taught us because it pleases God for these kind of things to happen. Prosperity and health are two of the key issues in, in life down here. I mean, almost everybody in the political world, which I hope you're getting away from, because God didn't call you to have bad days because you listened to somebody on some ignorant talk show discussing your whatever. Turn the thing off. That doesn't do you any good. Let me tell you again something I said the other night. God already has whom he's going to put in office. God sets up over kingdoms who will rule. You don't. He does. I leave it to him. I leave it to him. But prosper. Health. Health costs. Health issues. Health what is it, health insurance or some kind of a health care we have to start having? They'll have to find me. Y'all may have to look for somebody else. I don't need it. I've got a better plan. I said that down in the state one day, down in Frankfurt, didn't it, before a panel. I don't want it. I don't need it. So if we just found you on the side of the road in a wreck, your legs broke just to leave you laying there, I didn't say I'd be fine. I didn't say that. I just said, well, I, I'm sure if I'm going down the road and the wreck comes, I'll have to dig a little deeper. But God doesn't fail. He'll never let a situation be bigger than you are able to handle it. Right. We've got that promise. That pleases him too. Right. God knows our weaknesses and our strength. He knows our limits. No temptation will ever take you as such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow. So we make it that way too. Prosper. Prosper is another way of talking about to succeed in reaching your goals. But I wonder how many men are prospering, finding success as husbands, fathers, head of the family. How many are prospering in money management in their home, not arguing about it, fighting over it, and fussing about it all the time. I wonder how many people are really succeeding and doing things God's way. Finding peace with that, praise God. How many? Remember years ago, I told somebody I just wasn't going to borrow anymore. I remember them saying, you'll never have anything. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't bold enough then to look at them and say, I rebuke you. I just said, well, I believe I will. You'll never have anything if you don't avail yourself to the systems of man. If you don't trust in the arm of the flesh, you'll never have anything and you'll die. And neither has to be true. But God's people have to walk by faith. It won't work because I said it. It doesn't work because the Bible said it. It works if you believe the Bible said it. Now, you're limited to what the Bible says, but you're not limited at all because you've got every base covered. Every need is supplied in Christ. Every single one of them. This is what it means to prosper, to have your mind so assured, being so fully persuaded that if he said it, he'll do it, that you walk around with a calm peace about you. What the president say, I'm not even sure I know his name anymore. I do, but really, I'm not that interested. I pray for those in authority. 
I'd probably pray more for Israel and the Knesset because they're much smaller and the world's totally against them, the whole world and most of this country. So I pray for them because the Bible says you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, they shall prosper in Psalm 122, verse 6. They shall prosper who love thee, and I like that. And promises, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. We're winding down now, but the good part's coming. Hang on. 2 Corinthians 1 and 20. Listen at these words. How wonderful it is to own a Bible. For all the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen, for what purpose? Well, that's the same as Isaiah 55. We don't have anything new here. God sent his word out, it'll accomplish and it will prosper. Amen, period. And he said in the New Testament, he said all the promises, and there are several thousand of them, and these actually were promises made to Israel because there was no New Testament when Paul wrote this. This was nothing more than a letter he wrote to the Corinthians, and he was referring to the promises that God made to Israel as being also our promises. And he said all the promises of God, all of them are in him, that's Christ, Yes, he doesn't say no to a promise. And in him, amen, so be it. And all of this is under the glory of God by him. Here's another translation. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, this is why we utter the amen through him to the glory of God. If I'm reading this right, if we're hearing this right, that this is translated right. It means that every promise that you've got in that Bible has God's yes and amen to it. Is there a promise that he will forgive all your iniquities? Well, I've already heard two yeses and one amen. It's true. Psalm 103 says so. He forgives all of them, not some of them, all of them. Amen. And the second thing, and we might as well get it in the same verse, and he heals all our diseases. Amen. And it's a word that describes physical ailments. Praise the Lord. Because that's a yes and amen. Who redeems our lives from destruction. That's our assurance. Assurance policy. Who crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. He's personal. And he renews our youth like the eagles. Why would he do that? Why would God do that? Because it pleases him. He likes it. He likes seeing you well. He likes seeing you at peace. He likes seeing you take all the junk you hear every day and put it into the obedience to Christ file over here and rejoice in there's a better way. And the word begins to rule in your life. That pleases God. That your heart's right. That you're living like you know he wants you to live. You've been taught that way, so you're living that way. You're making good choices with your life. You're doing things that are right. 
There are promises in the Bible for parenting. There are promises on the right way to raise our children up to be citizens of the kingdom of God. For how to be a husband that is Christ-like in his family and to his wife and how to be a wife that is like the church should be to Christ. There are promises for this. There are promises on how we should manage money and not let it rule us. Like getting out of debt. Not having this, I got to get more, I got to have more. Just letting God do it his way. As I said before, I've had people say, well, you're never going to have anything like that. Well, that wasn't true because I did have things. But I found that when I got things, having to wait on it, they weren't as big a deal as I thought they were. Used to walk through a certain clothing store in Indiana called Value City. I don't know why they shut the thing down, but walked through there and I was preaching all the time and wore a tie four days a week. I'd see a, a suit of clothes and I'd look at the cost and I, I used to say, man, I wish I could afford that right now. I'd get that. I'd go, I'd get that right now. Two years later, you look at that and say, well, I could buy that. Really, I don't even want it. Don't want it. It's not a big deal anymore. It's just something about the way God deals with us. Promises to get out of debt, to be givers, to be able to give and not regret it. You know, one thing I do like this year, and I think it's a statement of pride and may need to deal with it. I like the fact that if you want to give here, you can. There's a box back there. Nobody's going to stand by it and take a picture of you when you walk by. If you don't put anything in, nobody knows it but you. Well, God. And if you want to put a whole bunch in, don't anybody know it, you can just huddle up over that thing and do like this here while they're trying to take your picture. You know, you can do it that way. <laughs> but God knows and it's known to God there's no pressure. If you don't want to, you don't have to. If you want to, you can't. Now, what have you been taught and what does God say? See, that's how you live. One of these days, I'm going to get me some pans or buckets or whatever you pass and just pass an offering here. All right, put your offering in this container today. Then we won't be able to say no more. We don't pass a bucket here. But the point of it is, we don't make that an issue because God says a lot about money, a whole lot. And he has a way for you to get out of debt and never have money worries ever again the rest of your life. And learn to be content in the state that you're in. Get along with your neighbors. How to be wise. There are so many promises for so many things. Several thousand promises that are to be appropriated by us. And they all please God. I don't think we please God because we can quote the Bible if we don't live it. Are you with me? I think God wants us to do it his way and for his glory. Let me say this about prosperity. It's not wrong to have. It's not wrong to be prosperous. David was prosperous. I think Zacchaeus was doing pretty good. Paul spoke to the rich in 1 Timothy 6, charged them that are rich in this world. See, you could be rich. It might be harder for you to be the kind of person you really have to be and be rich because sometimes it's going to cost you. But you can. 
God will give you richly, he says, all things to enjoy. Because what he made, he wants you to enjoy. Therefore, our pleasure also. But if your life is all about gaining and getting and having, you're a tragedy. You're a living tragedy. Because the Bible teaches us this. It says a man can gain the whole world and lose his soul. And he had it nice. He had, he had the big car. He had a good ride. He looked good. His clothes were good. Ate out good. Went good. Cruised. I don't know if that's good anymore, but he cruised good. Saw the world. Ate, drank, lived in kingly glory. But at the end of his life, he forfeited eternal life and a just sentence from a loving, just and fair God was, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. They were in church, they heard about it, didn't want it, did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They went off doing their own thing. They might have added church to that lifestyle. And though they were rich, they were fools. Remember that man that said, I'm gonna tear down my barns and build me some more and fill them all up and I'm gonna sit back and say, so you've done well in life. And God said, thou fool, this night you will die. Nobody expected it, but you're going to just suddenly die. And then who's going to get all this? I still don't understand why people work their whole life to get as much as they can, kind of hesitant to spend any of it, and then die and leave it. I said, well, you got to leave something for your kids. Let the kids get their own. I don't mean it exactly like that. <laughs> I can't spend house or property, but it doesn't take much to make us happy or peaceful anymore. It just doesn't. We're the dullest, probably the two dullest people in this church. We are. Just dull people. But you know what? There's things that are so much more important. Some of these things that you want in this life pale in the light of God. Jesus said in Luke 15 that that which is highly esteemed amongst men, being famous, rich, well-to-do, noticed, admired, looked up to, whoo, what a man, look at what a woman. All those things which are highly esteemed amongst men, God says, is an abomination to him because the pursuit of all that stuff drew you away from God. And you can't please God like that. You can't. And if you don't please God, then you don't live with the Lord. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. These words. Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to what? Get wealth. Where does wealth come from then? Come from the Lord. Can he give it to you? He can. Now listen to me, all of you. If he can give it to you and ask and you shall receive, don't ever grieve over it. Don't sit around and complain. Quit doing that. You get in line, you get in your slot with the Lord and you say, Lord, 
whether anybody else got it or not, because I started here. Whether anybody else believes this or not, I do, and I'm going to believe you for this and for that and thus and so. And everything I believed him for came to pass, everything. From refrigerator stoves, couches and this, to cars and clothes and everything I've asked for. Even the Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, he said, let him ask of God who giveth how? Liberally and upbraideth not. He doesn't say, Hamilton, you were here five minutes ago. He doesn't say, Kenny, you were here 10 minutes ago. Ask him, are you back? I am. And I'm boldly here. I came boldly to the throne of grace like you told me to. I don't mean I walked in there like I own this place, but I walked in there like you're mine and I'm yours and you got all the things I need and the windows up here. I need you to open one and crack it a little bit and let some of what you got fall out. Thank you. Thank you. Or the whole thing, if you want to, open the windows of heaven. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It's in the Bible. And yet Christians write book after book after book on why that's not true. Now, I don't understand that except it's a deceiving spirit. They write book after book on why healing is not for today and why prosperity is error. Why do they say that? Have they not read the Bible? No, sir, it pleases God or it wouldn't have been in the Bible. Finally, in closing this morning, go back again to the book of Psalms. Psalms 149. Just before Proverbs. Psalms 149, verses 1 through 5. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Shebib, I mean of Zion, be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Uh-oh. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and harp. Why? For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Fourthly, this morning, it pleases God for us to praise and worship him. Amen. To worship God. To sing unto him the new song. To praise the name of the Lord, as he said in verse 4, to magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Why? Because it pleases God. Okay, then I'll do it. Let the saints ever shout for joy who favor thy righteous cause. Why? Because it pleases God to do it. Let them praise him with a loud voice. Why? Is he hard of hearing? No, it pleases God for you to let go every now and then. The church I grew up in, we used to start our services. I was in a choir. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Amen. 
We, we were silent, all right. The psalmist says, this also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bullock. Who also, that has hooth, he says what? I will praise the Lord. Psalm 69, I will praise the name of the Lord with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. It pleases the Lord. It pleases God. I ask myself, now if you made me for your pleasure, do I do that? I have to admit I'm a whole lot louder when I'm alone than when I'm in here. I sing very loud when I'm in a car by myself. I don't with Bonnie there. But when I'm in my office by myself alone, I sing very loud. I holler and I shout. And if I ever get caught, I'm sure they'll call somebody or one of you. You know why you do that? He has made me glad. If you'll turn to one more verse, I won't give you any more. Zephaniah, uh-oh, not too far from the end. Zephaniah chapter three. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. Verse 17, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is what? Mighty, is he? Of course he is. What will he do in the midst of us? He will save Amen. Thank God for that. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. Why? Because it pleases him. He will rest in his love. That's his abiding place. He will joy over thee with singing. Just like in Hebrews, he said Jesus will sing in the church. How will he sing in the church? Through us. We're his mouthpieces. Amen? Amen. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for the offering of your word. Thank you for leading us and guiding us and for making such wonderful promises to us this morning. You see our hearts. You know our hearts. Mold us and make us after your will so that you will be pleased with us in this life. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Presence. 
rushing river draws nearer. Holy fountain, consume us with you. Captivate us, Lord Jesus, with you. you 